Uh, I want you, if you have your Bibles, to go ahead and open them uh, to 1 Timothy chapter 6, where today uh, we're going to close out our two-week series on generosity by looking at how the gospel calls us to be a generous people. Uh, if you were with us last week, we kicked this series off, Generous God, Generous People. Uh, this is something we do on a yearly basis. We try to take uh, at least a couple of weeks to talk about generosity uh, for a variety of reasons, and uh, a couple of those as as we move into the holiday season, guess what? Uh, man, um, we're going to be uh, bombarded with, uh, man, this temptation and, and just the shouts and echoes of culture that are going to say, uh, consume, 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 right? Like, it, it, it's not just this season. I believe every season, uh, more and more, that's why you're seeing uh, Black Friday is starting. Uh, it's always there. Uh, somebody is always doing some kind of, like, major Black Friday sale, and they're just calling it what it's not, uh, you know, so Amazon does it seems like every week they have some kind of lightning sale that they're doing. But we are about to be bombarded with this idea of just consume and buy and, and get. And, and, and uh, man, while uh, the holidays are a great time, we want to make sure that, that we have our eyes set, we have our hearts set on, uh, man, the God that is generous to us. Uh, and then, so, which leads to kind of the second half of that. Like, uh, we know, uh, that, man, generosity is not something that's commonly talked about in the church. And we want to just kind of make it a common thing that we're okay talking about. And so if you're a visitor, today we're going to talk about generosity. Welcome. Uh, man, what a week to show up. Uh, but, uh, what I want to do, uh, for whether you were with us last week or, uh, man, this is your first weekend. I want to quickly recap from our time together last week because, man, I believe that without an understanding of the generosity of God, uh, what we're going to walk into today will turn into this call to generosity into some form of joyless works-based merit when actually what I believe uh, that we're going to look at today is actually meant to be a joyful overflow of God's grace displayed in our lives, all right? So that's the hope today, is that as we look at what it means to be a generous people in light of the generous God that, that, that has loved us in such a way that he sent his son, uh, that, that we would then, uh, man, have deep, deep joy regarding what it means to live as a generous people. Now up front, I'm going to say this. Today's intro is going to be really, really long. And that's saying something because usually my intros are already pretty long. Uh, but uh, we're still going to get out in the same amount of time. It's okay. Uh, but um, just want to, to lay that out. We're going to get to the text here in just a little bit. But I need to build some things out first. So if you remember from last week, we started our series by, by seeking to get a better understanding of how generosity begins with God. And so what we did is we took John 3.16, which is again the most iconic, likely well-known verse in all of the world, and we broke it down. And, and in breaking it down, we saw five things about God that display His generosity towards us. So the first thing we saw is that God is the source of generosity. The beginning of John 3.16 says, for God. What we have to understand as God's people, and as a people that are meant to proclaim this good news, is that we are not the source. We don't have the means to pay to fix our sin problem. But as we see at the beginning of the verse, God has the means to fix our sin. He is the source of generosity. Everything begins with Him. 
Next, we saw God's heart of generosity. It says that he so loved, which means that God's generosity is rooted in the greatness of his love, which is vast and limitless. The third thing we saw is the scope of God's generosity, which that God so loved too, the world, right? God's love, what we know from Scripture, what we see from the the redemptive story is that His love will both redeem those made in His image. So the primary reason Jesus came was to save sinners, right? He said, I didn't come from the, for the, the, the healthy, but for the sick. So that's the primary reason, but the, the other thing we know is that God is also, through Jesus, is bringing restoration to really the entire cosmos. He is literally going to make all things new. Which leads to what we saw, the means or investment of God's generosity is that He gave His only Son. God gave the ultimate prize to pay for our sins by sending not simply His Son to the world, but to the cross. And then lastly, so we saw the return or the product of God's generosity, which is, we see, whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. This whoever really means whoever because God, as I said last week, can redeem anyone by His generous love. And when He does, two things happen. First, belief happens or faith, Right? And that faith is a faith that then moves to work. As you understand, we're about to dig into it, God's generosity, that leads us to be generous. It should be a natural overflow of who we are. It displays itself by generous living. And we're, we're going to see that today as we look at 1 Timothy 6. But also what we see in this text in John 3.16 is it, it brings eternal life, Right? Again, that should lead us, knowing that we have eternal life, that we are good for eternity, both now and the future, all forever, as far as you can think of, and then further and further and further. That should lead us to generous living, because we have something that's imperishable waiting for us. And so what I want to do is I want to lay out in our time today from Scripture how the gospel calls us to be generous in light of God's generosity towards us. Now again, that should be a natural response. Like this, again, not not just simply because it's taboo or something we commonly don't talk about because we want to, but really when we think about it, this should be something that is natural for us. This idea, this practice of generosity should be something as we live daily life. Not just every November or, you know, two to three weeks a year as we preach a series. But in his daily life, we should wake up, we should live in such a way that we are reminded of God's generosity. But then we ask ourselves, God, how are you calling to be gener- me to be generous with my life? You see, the sad thing about that, or a reality at times, is that we're not, right? Again, this is a topic that makes us uncomfortable, but should not. Actually, this topic should excite us. Because again, in the words of Matthew Kent, the more you come to see God as the one who is generous, who does good things and gives good gifts to those who don't deserve it, the more generous you will become. What I love about that quote is that the word more is used two times. The more you come to see God as the one who is generous, who does good things and gives good gifts to those who don't deserve it. He, he, what he's doing there, Ken is saying, hey, this is the indicative. This is the fact. There's no arguing this. 
And that leads to the next more. The more generous you will become. The imperative is a command that is based upon the facts that were just stated. I believe also that this more expresses two beautiful realities. First, God's generous grace is something that we are and will ever be growing in our understanding of. Again, God is inexhaustible. So for all eternity, we will be understanding to greater and greater degrees just how gracious God is. Have you ever thought about that? Like, again, we, uh, I believe sometimes we have bad pictures of eternity, like, or a poor picture, not a full picture of eternity. One, because we're not there. We don't know what it's like. But uh, a lot of times, like, we don't, th- you know, we just think, well, I'll just know everything. No, like, we're, f- God's infinite. We're finite. We will ever be learning about God. And we'll never get bored by it. We'll always be excited about it. And part of that learning will be about His grace. But the second thing, our own generosity as God's people, what we have to understand is that it is to be progressive in nature. The more we understand it in our heart, the more we will seek to live it out with our lives. And so again, I want to just say this one more time before we really dive into some of the problems about generosity and what the text says about it, it is this. I, I am not after your money, okay? I'm not. I'm after your heart because I believe that Jesus is after your heart. And so whether it's your time, your talents, or your treasure, I'm after your heart because Jesus is. You see, I believe that that, that as Jesus does, that if Jesus can get after your heart and the heart of uh, why we're not generous and should be, guess what happens? We will be generous. You see, if an understanding of generosity in light of the gospel can transform your heart, it will transform your life in ways you can never imagine. Now, in talking about this, I want to express one more truth about what it means uh, uh, to be, uh, because of the gospel, a generous people. And it is that the reality of this sermon and the act of generosity displayed as God's people according to the world around us is extremely countercultural, is it not? Like again, one of the problems we have with this is because the world around us, like they don't have a grid for it. It is countercultural to be generous, but some of that has seeped its way into the church. Culture does not know what to do with radical generosity. And at times, if we're honest, we have allowed those things to creep into the body of Christ in ways that lead to a lack of generosity towards others, both inside and outside the church. Which begs the question, why? Like, why is this? And so let me just give a few uh, ways that I believe generosity is both countercultural and a struggle for us. First... Culture screams, I talked about it at the beginning, it screams, make, make lots of money and spend it on yourself, right? Make lots of money and spend it on yourself. You earned it, you did it, you worked for it, now spend it on you. And we're going to talk about the enjoyment of money here in just a little bit, the enjoyment of our time, the enjoyment of our talents. But culture screams, make it and spend it upon yourself. Uh, one, one other, uh, another way, uh, debt is the new normal. Right? Like, if you turn on the news here lately, like, it's like every week for some reason, like, they're passing a vote to raise the debt ceiling. 
Because it's just normal, right? It's like, well, we need more. Like, let's just print more and let's do this. And so they're, you know, and then they're bickering back and forth. It's like, are we going to get it? Are we getting it? And it's like, well, no. Like, they're just going to raise it up because debt is normal. It's actually, like, it, it's celebrated. And, and in some ways, if you don't have it, it punishes you in culture. Any of you, like, you, you, uh, like, you see your credits, you have to have debt to have good credit, right? If you don't have debt, like, your credit score starts dropping, you're like, no, this is backwards. Like, what are we doing here? I remember we had a, a credit card at one time. I'm not going to get into Dave Ramsey and, and the should or shouldn't. Like, this is just descriptor of life. We had one that we closed down. Like, the day or the next day, I got an Experian email that said, hey, your credit score is lowered. And I was like, why? Well, it's because we closed out an account. They don't want you to, because it should be a normal thing. Next, we are silent about it in the church. We don't talk about it. Those are private matters. But guess what? And we're going to see it here in just a moment. These private matters turn to sin matters. These private matters uh, display begin to display itself in greed that, that destroys lives, both families and churches. You see, these private things lead to poor care for those in need around us. I think a lot of times, both in the church and outside the church, we talk a lot about wealth accumulation. So we'll talk about it and say, hey, look, like I, I'm not going to name their name. There's a friend or somebody in my family. Uh, if you're around them for two minutes, they'll start telling you about their 401k every single time. And it's like, I see them and I'm like, gotta go. <laughs> like I don't, cause they're like, Kyle, I'm just printing money, you know, like this and that. That's all they want to talk about. And so they, they, like, we, we say it, we talk about it, right? And, and it's not all bad. Like, I don't want you to hear that, but if it consumes you, it is. Money is not the issue, it's the what? The love. That gets us, like, your heart begins to love it more than God. So we say it, also we display it, right? Which is why, you know, uh, you know, we're on, on the iPhone, whatever, and then next month they're gonna come out with the next one, and then that, and you gotta, like, you have buyer's remorse, and then, uh, then you have to get another, and you have to get this, or this, you know, this is not working, they, they have some new TV, or some new, whatever it is, and we've gotta have it. See, we talk about wealth accumulation a lot, but we talk very little about generosity. Be it our time, talents, or our treasures. Which leads to my last reason why we struggle to engage in conversations and lead with conviction about being a generous people, which is that, man, if we're honest, we all in moments and seasons and at times struggle with the sin of greed. You see, for all of us, if we were to take stock of our living, we would all find some area where we're bent towards greed or selfishness. Because of our sin nature, our natural response when it comes to our time, our talents, and our treasures is to hoard it up rather than to give it up. You see, apart from an act of God's generous grace in our lives, our natural tendency will be to move towards greed. Let me just, I have many examples in my life of doing this, but one that I thought when I was in the third grade... I got a bunk bed. Now we didn't like we didn't have very much money. Like we did not have a whole lot of means. So I got a bunk bed, which was super exciting for me as a kid. But we only had enough money to buy one mattress. So I got the bed 
and one mattress. I was so pumped about it. I didn't think anything of it. Like, it was just natural to me, right? Like, we'll get the other one later. I'm an only child. Like, what's the matter? All right? Uh, and, and so we got that. And so for a long time, I had a mattress on the bottom, and I would stare up at the slats of the top bunk. Don't know why I uh, didn't have the bunk. I don't know. That's neither here nor there. Uh, but so after about a year, my mother had put together enough money to get another mattress. And I was really, really excited. So we get this mattress. We put it on the bed. And at that point, we were living with someone else, another family. And, uh, and so we're there. And um, they had a little girl that lived with us. And she was about five years younger than me. So I was fourth grade by this time. And she was really excited for me. And she said, Kyle, can I, can I sleep on the bottom bunk and you can sleep on the top? And I looked at her and I said, you know... I would really love for you to. But the thing about it is, I, I can't sleep with a light on. And you, like, you have to have the door open and a light on. I just can't do that. Now, as some of you know, I, I could fall asleep right here. It doesn't matter. Like, lights don't matter to me. I'm going to close my eyes. It's dark behind here. Like, what does it matter, right? But, and I was the same way then. But I wanted to be greedy. I wanted it to be mine. Now, there's a, the whole side of things. Well, let me use it, and then you can have, like, we're not going to talk about sharing here or whatever. But um, my heart in the moment was greedy. And so I go, and I, I say, no, not tonight, maybe another night. And so she goes out, and she's pretty sad about it. And my mom comes and asks me, she says, hey, are you sure? And I said, no, no, I can't sleep with the light on. So I, it's bedtime, and I go in, I tell my mother good night, and I go get in the bed, and I fall asleep. And, and about 15 minutes after I fall asleep or so, my mom wakes me up, and she said, hey, are you asleep? And I was like, well, yes. She said, well, that's interesting because you left the door open and the kitchen lights on. I got in big trouble. <laughs> I think what happened is I had to sleep on the bottom bunk and re- she got to sleep on the top bunk, right? Like, so it ruined everything because of my greed. But like, that was my heart in the moment, right? Like, I don't want you to have it. I want all of it. You see, we all have this tendency, whether we're in the third grade or one year old or, you know, however old you are today. Like, we still struggle with it. And so what is greed? Well, the definition, the the way it's defined is selfish or excessive, a selfish or excessive desire for more of something than is needed. And we all, in one area or another, struggle with this thing. But how, what, what is this? Well, well, the way we do that is with, we, we're greedy with our time. We're greedy with our talents or our giftings or how we're going to serve. And we're greedy with our treasure. And I think some of that is due to, man, in the midst of it, like there's some fear in there, right? Like so, maybe some of you, like your tendency to hoard or to be greedy is because you fear not having enough, right? We have this poverty mentality that if I give it away, if I give my time away, guess what? I'm not going to have enough time for me. If I give my talents away, guess what? I, I'm going to have enough time to use that for what I want or, or my treasure. There may not be enough money. For some, like it's your, your, it's not fear, it's status. So you look around and you say, I need to build so that I can be seen a certain way because your identity reflects your status. So you're not willing to give your time to things that aren't important to you because that might affect your status. You're not willing to give your talents away because guess what? If you do that and you serve in that capacity towards others, others might look at you and think that you're of less status than they are. But maybe it's your treasure. You're like, well, I have to build this wealth because I have to be at this point on the monetary scale so that those around me know that I've got this much. 
But then lastly, maybe for you today, it's control. I want to control every hour, minute, and second that I have. I want to control when I do certain things or when I only serve and give of my talents or giftings whenever I feel like it or it's convenient for me. Or, man, I want to control every dollar because I believe that I earned it and that it's mine, that God didn't give me all of it. You see, as God's people, we're called in light of the generosity of God to look at where... We're investing our time, talents, and treasure. To look at what we're investing our time, talents, and treasure into so that we might see where our heart is when it comes to generosity. You see, what you put your time into reveals what you believe about the gospel and generosity. Is it the kingdom of self or the kingdom of God? The same way with your talents and your treasure, right? What you give your talents to reveals... Where your heart is regarding the gospel. What you spend your money on and how you view your treasure reveals what you believe about the gospel and generosity. And while I could lay out scripture after scripture that calls us to be a generous people and give you point after point about why you and I need to be generous, guess what? You and I cannot be guilted into generosity. It won't work. It it, it may affect you for a moment, but even if it works in that moment, it won't last. My buddy Josh Reeves, who preached here a couple of weeks ago, uh, said in a sermon on generosity once that generosity comes from knowing and experiencing in the depths of our being that our needs are fully met in Christ. You see, we can't be guilted into generosity, so what we need to come to understand first is that while greed is rooted in an orphan mentality that said, says we need to get ours, because if we don't, no one will take care of us, The good news of the gospel says something totally different. It says, man, you've been forgiven more generously than you could ever imagine. You've been given an inheritance that's greater than anything you think you can produce. Because of the giving, because giving is at the heart of who God is. And so when we think about that generosity comes from knowing and experiencing the depths of our being, that our needs are fully met in Christ, what happens is it cultivates and is then grown by practicing that to be true. You see, knowing at a heart level what Jesus has done for you, when God brings change and understanding here in light of the gospel leads or should lead to us practicing it in life. As we progressively mature as a generous people. And so as we look at 1 Timothy 6, what I want to do is I want to look at what Paul says to Timothy and us about how the gospel, generous God, calls us to generous lives. You see, because where we started last week is where it all begins, because any conversation about generosity begins with, again, his generosity towards us. And then I want to call us in just three very practical ways regarding our time, talent, and treasure towards generosity. So here in 1 Timothy 6, Paul lays out two warnings about greed. He lays out an exhortation about generosity in light of the gospel, and then he gives us four practical ways that are to mark our lives as a generous people. Let's read the text now. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. 
They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold, listen to this, of that which is truly life. Okay, so before we get into the first warning, I want to make a note regarding the phrase that Paul begins with in verse 17. Because some use this phrase to discount the validity of what Paul says in the rest of the text. So verse 17 begins with, as for who? The rich. And some will use this as a cop-out by saying, well, I'm not rich. And so I want to say up front that while I don't know where everyone is financially, according to this present age or, and or any age that has been, you fit into the rich that Paul's talking about, okay? Like, I, again, I grew up in a house where we ate leftovers, right? How many of you? Like, that's not uncommon. But then we made goulash out of those leftovers, right? Like, anybody ever do that? I had a friend, we got snowed in one time, or iced in. It doesn't snow in Texas very much. We got iced in, and we had dinner, and then the next night, we were having leftovers. And he said, I'm hungry, what are we going to eat tonight? My mom said, well, we're having leftovers. And he goes, I don't really like leftovers. And my mom looked at him, and she goes, well, you're going to starve. And guess what? He ate leftovers that night, and the next night, we made goulash out of it, uh, which was whatever was in the refrigerator, you just put it in a pot, and it makes something over time. Growing up, I thought, anybody remember Iron, Iron Kids Bread? Remember the commercial? I thought Iron Kids Bread was only for rich people. Like, it was my goal as a young child to be like, one day I'm just gonna eat a slice of that white bread. Right? Like, it's gonna, and I will have made it. I didn't get a cell phone until 18, partially because I was a brat in the store, but the other side is my mom didn't have the credit nor the means to get me one. It was probably good for me. But you see, still, according to the text, I'm rich, rich, rich. Like, I'm bunk bed rich, right? Like, that's how rich I was. And so when we think about this, like, for all of us, compared to, to uh, man, other places, even today, we are, we are immensely rich. We are wealthy beyond comprehension to most of the world. And so when the text is speaking about riches and generosity, it is sending these warnings and exhortations straight to us. And so let's look at the first warning. Paul says that riches bring with it the threat of pride. He says, don't let the rich be haughty or prideful. It's one of the easiest things in the world to get money, no matter the amount, and to begin to think you're somebody. My, my children, my youngest son, he grabbed a quarter the other day. I don't know where he found it. He probably stole it from a sibling. And he looked at me and he said, I got a quarter. And he walked around for 15 minutes holding that quarter like he was the richest person in the world. And he did that. Like he could buy anything he wants. And I'm like, bro, it's a quarter. Deuteronomy 8.17 says that if we're not careful, we can look at what we have and begin to pridefully believe that our, the text says arm, which that arm means strength, that our strength has gotten us the wealth that we have. Guess what? All that you have is a gift of grace by way of God's generosity towards you. You might have worked for it, but your hard work, again, was only a gift of grace. Your brain was given to you by God. Your strength was given to you by God. 
your ability to articulate and sell or know certain things and do certain things was all given to you by God as a gift. Don't be puffed up about it because guess what? It can be taken from you in an instant. Uh, We read a story in uh, our Men's Equip in the Disciplines of a Godly Man book that we just ran through about generosity and giving. And it talked about this meeting that happened in like 1928 by the most powerful and wealthy, five of the most powerful and wealthy men in the world at the time. And what he he says, they have this meeting and then uh, not very much longer, guess what? Two of them have killed themselves by suicide. One was on the run from the law. One guy was in prison in New Jersey and the other had gone crazy. They're the richest, most wealthy, powerful people in the world. And then boom, like that, it's gone. So don't be prideful. Next, Paul warns us not to set our hopes on the uncertainty of riches. And the reason he says this is because, again, our natural bent is to put trust in anything other than God that promises identity, security, and comfort. But again, the problem is that riches cannot produce hope and security because they are temporal and fleeting. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6, says that we are not to put our hope, we're not to put our salvation in the storing up of earthly riches because what Jesus says they can and will be destroyed. He says moth can eat it and rust can destroy it. If it's not now, one day it will be. And so we see these two warnings. Don't be prideful and don't put your hope in it. So the question becomes, what do we do? Well, Paul gives an exhortation. In the next part of the verse, he says, set our hope on God. Set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see, here we see the contrast between the root uh, of worldly greed and the hope of gospel generosity. You see, we hope in God who is generous towards us in grace. Next, we hope in God who richly provides all that we need. And the scope of that, because we have such a limited perspective. Like we can read that verse, we can talk about it today, and y'all can walk right out, like we can forget about it. That's an eternal scope. It's now and forever. Guess what? While moth and rust can destroy earthly riches, guess what? What Jesus provides cannot. Moth cannot touch it. Rust cannot destroy it. It's imperishable. All your needs are met in Christ Jesus. He is our hope, salvation, and sustains us with all we need in every moment. What that should do is free us up to be generous. Which leads to four practical ways that are to mark our lives as a generous people. First, and we just talk about it, when we set our hope on God, He provides us with everything, what? Everything to enjoy. So the first practical thing that's to mark our lives as a people that have been given so much in God, is, and this one isn't commonly talked about, is that we need to enjoy what God gives us. Don't take it for granted. Something I think we miss and has taken the joy out of generosity is that we are to be a people who truly enjoy the things God has provided for us. Like enjoy whatever level it is. Enjoy your, your riches and wealth. Don't put your hope in it, but enjoy it. And, and don't only enjoy it, like one of the greatest things you can do with that, like as you enjoy it, bring others into that enjoyment. Invite others into it. Say, hey, I, want, I really want you to enjoy this with me. Uh, 
Allow what you have to bring you and others joy by using it for the purpose it was intended for. To draw us to awe and worship as we reflect upon the generosity of God towards us. Quick movie example. If you want to know kind of what this looks like. Anybody ever watch Richie Rich back in the day? Macaulay Culkin, right? Like he has so much money, does it, but he doesn't have any friends. Man, where he began to find joy is when he started inviting other people in to experience it. Like invite other people in to experience it wherever you're at. The next thing we see is we're to do good. This do good phrase is rooted in the fruit of the Spirit we find in Galatians 5. The, the word for goodness is actually a call to living a life of generosity. That's what goodness means. A lot of commentators and things say that actually should be the word. It shouldn't be goodness. It should be generosity. Generosity is first not something we do, but it is actually rooted in the identity of who we are in Christ. His generosity instills in us a generous heart that leads and empowers us to want to do good. It's the impulsive nature of the God, the impulsive nature of the gospel is to seek to do good. It's an overflow, right? To be generous towards others. Third, we're to be rich in good works. You see, not only are we to bring others into our enjoyment, we are to look for ways to be rich in good works, meaning that we should actively look at how we might give our time, our talents, and our treasures, and then, listen to this, build our lives, our budgets, and our calendars around it. And then lastly, we see the fourth practical way that should mark our lives is we're to be generous and ready to serve. Like we should live open-handed and ready, chomping at the bit when it comes to generosity. And then when the opportunity arises, be generous. Like be overly generous. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes like when an opportunity arises, I'll sit back and see if someone else will do it. You ever do that? Like, well, we need this amount of money. And I'm like, well, I'll see what anybody else will get. And then I'll use the phrase, well, whatever's left, I'll give. It's like, no, like we should be, like, we should want to be like, we want it to exceed what it is, right? Because we're all like, no, not because I want to show you how much I give, because I'm just so excited to give. I'm so excited. Like, when we ask, like, hey, somebody want to serve? You're like, yeah, me, me, me. We're like, okay. Hey, it is somebody like, we, we need this, like, we're gonna give this time to this, yes. I'm gonna, like, I, I've got that time. Cause I've allocated it. Man, we wanna raise this for this, yes, like, where do you, like, let's go. So when the opportunity arises, be generous. Now the question comes, how much? Well, I wanna say this, that's between you and the Lord. Somebody need to check that. Everybody hit your... No? Okay, we're just going to go. Oh, it's Michelle. (laughs) So the question becomes, how much? Well, that's between you and the Lord. Again, God is after your heart. But I believe, again, that the heart will lead to generous living. I would also say, and I believe C.S. Lewis says it well, I'm not going to quote him, but I would say that, that faith plays a big role in that though. And so we should seek to have faith and give more than we can spare. Trusting in God with all of it.
Because it's his anyways, right? And then look at the purpose we see. At the end of the text, it says, In doing this, you store up eternal treasure. Secondly, you have a good foundation for the future. Like, I love that. I think that's something we could focus on, like as individuals, but as families, and even as a church, is that we would build in ourselves and others this good foundation of generosity. You see, generosity is a habit that is progressively formed. And so again, like in the holiday season, one of the greatest things we can do is in the midst of the hustle and bustle, in the midst of all the presents and uh, trees and trinkets and the Grinch, yeah, uh, we can say, what does it look like for us to be generous and give towards others? Time, talents, and treasure. But also we see that, and I love this at the end of verse 19, it says we take hold of that which is truly life. It's such a beautiful picture of generosity because because of the generosity of God, we get to participate in living generous lives. And in doing so, we as the text states, gets to take hold. We get to experience that which is truly life. There, there's nothing more life-giving and affirming of our salvation in Christ than living generously. And I, I, I would make this bet. Do it. And you will come to believe over and over and over again that it is truly better to give than to receive. And so this is what I want to do. I want to challenge us in three things. And this is all rooted in our time, our talents, and our treasure, okay? So when I'm talking about the challenge I want to make for generous time is this. This is going to sound like a lofty goal, but I believe it's possible I would like to see 100% of our church partners. You can't get higher than 100, okay? 100% of our church partners regularly participating in a missional community. 100% regularly participating in a missional community. Now, let me just clarify for visitors, we call our members, we call them partners here. Um, But I would love for you, if you want to learn more about our church, one of the greatest things you can do is go to a missional community. It's where we cultivate biblical community, right? But I'd like to see it regularly participating. Now, I know there's seasons of life and different things like that, but that you're, that again, it goes back to like you, you calendar what's, what's important to you. 100% regularly participating in MC. Now, regularly, I would say this, three times a month. Now, two of those are family meals, and one of those is like men and women's night. Like, like that, that's, that, but that, I would like to see like three So that's generous time, challenge number one. Challenge number two, generous talent, okay? Again, a big number, 100% of our partners serving in some capacity on Sundays. Like We have plenty of areas you can serve. Actually, we have multiple people in our church that are serving in multiple areas because there's a need and they're willing to, I mean, I'm grateful for that, but hey, one of the things you can do is you can say, hey, how can I step up? Where can I step up? Where's the need? Now, I want to say this about talent. Because some people, they begin to put a box around it and they use their gift set and all this stuff. I believe in God's, I believe that people are gifted in certain areas, but also I believe that God calls us to meet a need when it's needed. And so talent doesn't necessarily mean gifting or, hear this, area of passion and love 
All right? Rather, what I believe biblically talent is, is a willingness, it's a heart posture to serve where needed because of how God served you where you most desperately needed it. That's the willing heart we're to have. Now, if you serve in a capacity maybe you're not passionate about or maybe don't like, it doesn't mean it's a forever thing, okay? Train someone up and fill them in that spot. <laughs> but that we would be a people to say, hey, where there's a need, I'm going to step in. And then lastly, generous treasure. Now, this is the tricky one, right? You're like, hey, I'll give you my time. I'll give you my talent. But you start talking about my pocketbook. Well, we already went into it, okay? So this is what we're going to say. As the elders have talked and prayed, you know, we've done this in the past. We say, okay, we want to raise this much money for our building fund. We want to raise this much money to uh, help us just finish the budget out for the year. That's not where we're at this year. So if we prayed and talked about it and talked, this is what we want to do. We want to, aside from your normal tithe and giving, we would like to, by the end of the year, raise $15,000 for this, for a student missions fund, student admissions fund. Because what we would like to see is we have a couple of camps that we uh, are going to be promoting and pushing for the summer. And we want to make it, because we also know that we have, people in here have a lot of children, um, Hey, that's a, I'm, I be one. Okay. Right. Like I am one of those. Uh, but we want to create capacity and space for us to be generous as a church towards those kiddos as a way to say, Hey, like when we talked about like, Hey, what does it mean to, uh, man, uh, as the church, we're there to disciple and help raise up Kids, as they grow up in the church, this is an avenue we can do that by helping either discount or provide a way for these kids and these students to be able to go to summer camp. And so we want to, we believe that can have a lasting eternal impact, right? And so we want to, t- we, we want to use it, but also, like we know, like w- we are developing a plan, we are developing, man, what does it look like for us to, uh, have a, just a greater impact in local missions and, and, and regional missions and global missions. And so we want to be able to have that capacity ready so that whenever a need arises or something arises that we want to, uh, man, we want to go after, we have the capacity and the, the, the bandwidth to be able to just jump into those things. Okay? Does that make sense? So two things. And so that's our goal in terms of that. Now the way, I'll just go ahead and say, like the, the way you can do that is two ways. Like if you give in the giving box in your check, what you need to write is you just need to write student slash mission fund. And then, but if you want to give, you can also give on our website. So if you go on our website, you can uh, click on the give tab. On the gift tab, you can scroll down. There's a little link you can click. You can go down. It says student mission fund. And so those two areas, those are two ways that you can give towards that. So we can make sure it's allocated in that line item. But we want to raise by the end of the year 15K for those things. So generous time, generous talent, generous treasure. Because of the generous God that has so deeply loved us that he sent his son. So with that. I'm going to have the team come back up. And this is what we're going to do in closing. As they make their way back up, I want to have those that are going to be serving the elements go ahead and come forward as well. Um, Get prepared and ready. We are going to do two things. We're going to share in communion. The way we do that here is if you're a follower of Jesus, redeemed by the blood, 
Whether you're a partner here or not, man, we invite you to come to the table today and receive the elements. And so you'll come down the middle, you'll take the elements, and you'll go and you'll sit back down. And then I'll lead us in the sharing of communion together. Now, as we do this, what we want to remember in this time, because we do this all in remembrance of what Jesus has done, is the generosity of God for us. The ultimate sacrifice of his love. And how generous that was, that it cost him everything. But in light of that, like we receive everything. For all eternity. And so we are reminded of that as we share. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, we'd ask that you abstain because of how costly this is. And so if you abstain, it's not a way to cast you aside or push you away. It's a way to say, hey, we want to talk to you about that. We would love to talk to you about the generous grace of God. So that when you take this, you understand it. And then what we're going to do is we're going to sing of the very goodness of God. It was provided for us through the Son that that sustains us through the Spirit. and, And that, man, we will one day experience fully when He returns and makes all things new. And so I'm going to pray. And once I pray... That's what I want you to do. Just go ahead and stand up, make your way. We'll receive the elements, sit down, and then I'll lead us in the sharing of communion. Father, we thank you for your generosity. We thank you that that the good news of the gospel is a good news of generosity because you so freely gave. And so God, I pray that as we reflect on that, as we remember that in the sharing of communion, as we even sit and wrestle with our uh, own lives and, and what it means to be generous with our time, with our talents, and with our treasure as a people that are called to be generous, God, that you would use this time to draw us to grace, to receive your mercy, to draw us to repentance, but also to draw us to active faith that is passionate about living a life for you that is generous. So God, be with us now. May this act of worship be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.